This is Melted Snow Podcast, episode 18, with Spencer Barclay. Spencer has spent years independently studying law, contracts, linguistics, and many other areas relating to self-sufficiency and freedom. In this episode, we discuss how he became interested in the general area of law and finance, the nature of political status, statecraft, words and how they're used in the legal realm, And at the end, we chat about how freedom can be hidden in fiction and mainstream movies and TV shows. As always, lots to reflect on here and some interesting perspectives to consider on the path of creativity and self-sufficiency. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Spence. Welcome to Melt Snow Podcast. Hello there. Hello. Gre- greetings from Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jim. So, yeah, why don't we take a stab at trying to explain to somebody what this general area of interest is that, you know, you've got into, I've skirted around. Um, I'm going to, for the for the sake of, of just, you know, trying to connect with people, I'm going to describe it as law finance, self-governance. Those general categories would be an umbrella term. It's the uh, thing on the door that you may or may not want to enter. Now, having said that, you have spoken before about this concept of the door and how intimidating it can be. When I started to get into this, Spence, I started to understand that there is three or so overarching categories of general topics on my own quest for asking questions about how things work and you know it's no surprise to to hear you know there's the general three intersecting circles of mind body and spirit right and i never understood how how much law infiltrated all three of those and you mightn't think that but for me that was the door okay into this and that there was something connecting all of these and and depending on which perspective you looked at it law and look, let's just use that word for the moment, and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your, your take on it. But law was the thing that kind of made sense of a lot of other systems. And what I'd like to hear about was just how did you arrive at knocking on that door? What brought you to that point? You know, there, it, it wasn't any single thing, but it, it, was, it was definitely a finite collection of events. And you know, I heard this phrase: "It t- uh, many streams make up a river," and that is maybe the best analogy to, to how my trajectory got changed. It, it was an accumulation; it wasn't any one thing. And uh, you know, I think from from a bigger picture, even than let's just say the law or the or the, or the three main areas that you brought up. It seems to me like there is a very finite set of topics and set of views that come out of the mainstream approved view, whatever that is, the corporate, the corporate approved narrative that comes out of the TV and and a way to define or, or to sort of delineate that is what information goes and chases down people. What information goes to find people, in other words, rather than people having to go out and push that aside and go find their own set of data. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of that mainstream narrative is being breached in people that understand um, how fraudulent the, the public education system is or how fraudulent big medicine is, you know. And, and so it just it kind of makes sense to me that uh, law is built on a very concise set of building blocks. And I kind of have noticed that it's interesting that it piqued your interest as a, uh, an architect, you're an architect. And I thought, wow, look how interesting that is because Jim is accustomed to fundamental principles and, and you, you in your mind, whether you know it or not, you toggle between principle and example all the time. And that's what law does. 
And so I think there might be a little bit bigger view than just breaching the public narrative in law. I think it's, I think it happens all over the place. Some people that are, that are aware of nutrition will see, you know, how bad corn syrup is and all these other things. And yet the public narrative supports companies like Coca-Cola and, and the big candy makers. And so I think, I think the public narrative is getting breached all over the place. Uh, I'm going to reach back and, and try to, maintain some continuity with what you asked me, which was what, what was it that set me on my trajectory? And it was an, it was an accumulation of things. And one of those data points that stayed in my mind for so long, when I was 19 years old, I got a, I got a traffic ticket in my car and I thought to myself, you know what? I go way out of my way to just be really smooth out on the road and to not be disruptive in any way. And when I was now, I say that when I was 19, maybe a little bit before that, I was a little rambunctious, but I got a ticket and I was in this courthouse and I, and something occurred to me that I had no idea what was going on in there. And I also knew that it was a government sponsored institution. And I thought, how is it possible that I, I don't know one single data point about what's going on in here. And I just left a government education institution, right? High school. How is it that, that the same entity, at least in my mind at the time, the same entity is in control of both of these. One of them was educating me and the other one was controlling something that I'd never seen of or heard of anything about what was going on in here. And then the, a third thought was uh, when I was in grade school, the school system had the time and the interest to take me to a local grocery store and show me on a field trip how sugar cookies are made. And I thought, what a tedious, complete horseshit venture that was. Why would they go that far out of my way to show me about sugar cookies? But they can't show me what's going on behind this door over here. And that stood out to me as not an accident. But I, I didn't have any other frame of reference. I couldn't, I couldn't attach it to anything. And... So here's some more of my background is I used to be a competitive bike racer, bicycle. And you spend a lot of time in complete silence in your own mind. And a lot of people I've noticed can't do that. But I had time to think and ponder and wonder and, and this kind of thing. And uh, so I'd think about stuff like that while I was out riding. That was an environment where I was not accustomed to absorbing the mainstream narrative. I couldn't stand television. I can't sit in front of it. So whatever the mainstream narrative wanted to keep people apprised of, I was not aware of. I, was, I, I didn't know pop culture. And so uh, as some of these doors, the phrase I use is demonizing the door. And I've noticed that a lot of people have a, a pre-canned predetermined answer for some of these topics. And it's the same repetitive message that you hear through the, whatever, whatever the television media sources are. And I could start to see that people's opinions wasn't even their own. And so from there, it made me very comfortable to go in and, and look at these things. Once I realized that there was a concerted effort put to keep me away from it, I just thought, oh, well, looky here. <laughs> Somebody's trying to keep this stuff quiet. And so then the next Maybe there was one trigger point or one little uh, event that, that really changed my trajectory, but it was at the end of a lot of that sort of built-up, pent-up momentum of, of those ideas. And I was doing some specific research on uh, – I was just kind of – in my personal life, I had uh, been overly saturated with uh, – this cluster B personality. If you don't know what that is, there's, you know, Wikipedia does a reasonable job of, you know, doing a, a whitewash explanation of it, with, you know, with narcissists and pathological liars and this kind of thing. And I was out looking at that material and I came across the guy because I was looking for fringe stuff because I thought that, you know, that therein is where I'm going to find a lot of disinformation. Some of, you know, people that are, 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 of that mindset and I came across the, uh, some material and I thought this guy's not lying and it, and it was completely uh, brand new information to me I was kind of shocked and I got more into the material 
than what brought me to it. And, and it was someone talking about, you know, banking and financing and, and there's way more going on there than you realize. And I thought, man, that's just, this is just interesting. I didn't have any skin in the game. I didn't have a commercial problem that I was trying to solve. So I started to absorb it at a pace and rhythm that uh, wasn't urgent. And the other thing that I inherently have is I don't I, I can be in what I call no man's land where I can let go of an old idea, even though I haven't perfectly formatted an, a, a competing idea. I, in other words, I haven't really seen the alternative to it yet, but I can let go of the old image. And a lot of people can't do that once they have established an idea in their mind once they've made a conclusion about something they can't let go of that until they have new proof that perfectly uh, replaces the old one whereas I can let go of something that I've kind of seen as faulty logic or, or there's something wrong with that picture I can let go of that before I have a replacement you know that's maybe just a conversational quick shorthand take on that thought process and so I can sort of explore new ideas until I've either sort of vetted it out or you know I, I can live in an I don't know state of mind on a, on a particular issue yeah um, some great points there one of the things I was just going to come back with was the characterization of of the law fraternity or the entity that is the law community or those who practice law for me it was very boring that it there was no excitement to it it was very black and white it was dense lots of words books very stiff you know formal you know institutional almost and that it was just a whole world that i had completely no interest in and you know the idea mm. that the word the bar and you cross the bar and, and trying to decode the language and I, for whatever reason i i thought of that as well like it's a barrier it's something that you're not you're not able to pass you're not welcome you're not invited you're not part of this world don't even come close to the door or the bar or whatever um, mm -hmm. and that for me was a bit of a moment of ah okay you know that there's a, a kind of a club of people who know certain things that you may not know or you don't have access to or you're not allowed access to through social conditioning or through you know as you said how you were how you were educated inverted commas mm -hmm. and that you know leave all that stuff to us and we'll look after your best interests and yeah right other things were coming through in terms of my own understanding of how systems of control work you know <clears throat> one of the other things would be you know governmental bodies saying look we are doing this for your own good you don't need to know how the machine works just trust us and we'll look after you um, i start to see parallels with the the legal community or those who professed to you know to know better and that uh, they created a, a wall of words and an impenetrable you know force field around it that you just could not get into and that mm -hmm. for me, like yourself, I almost felt like, well, no, I actually want to know what's behind the bar or what's over the fence or what's behind mm -hmm. the door. And I think once I, and maybe like yourself, started to investigate it or took, took on the, the, the responsibility of trying to educate myself about it, it, it became really exciting then. It was like a, an adventure. For sure, yeah. I loved it. So let's start with the first thing that that you got into then mm -hmm. yeah so on the spur of the moment my my mother got sick and I had to move in with her right away and and it was a real emergency and we just have to set that entire story aside and while I was uh staying with her you uh you know in the evenings whenever uh you know the, the nurse would come in sometimes for a few hours to take over you know she, she only lived three or four months after I moved in and so uh, at night, I would kind of uh, read. I, I continued in, in my investigation into looking into some of these topics, and I, I didn't realize the intensity of my focus that I had at, at the time because uh, it, it was, in, in a way, these little temporary escapes from the reality of the situation. 
And uh, that lasted about four months where I'm digging around in Black's Law and Bouvier's and, and, and these kinds of uh, sources. And I was, but it was very interesting to me. It was, it was the equivalent of some people, what they want and expect out of just turning on the television. They just wanted to sit down and, and shut down for a little while. To me, it wasn't work. It was, it was a, a little vacation. And uh, about six months later, after I moved in, my mom had been dead about two months. And a guy got a hold of me, and, and I knew him professionally through uh, this little business that I owned. And he told me that he was being sued by American Express for 50000 bucks. And his take on that was uh, it was a disaster. And before I even had time to censor myself, I said, you lucky dog, <laughs> give me that paperwork. And, and I saw their claim and, I, and, and it was uh, an attorney suing on behalf of American Express. And I was, uh, I was excited about it. I thought, oh, this is fun. I, I know that this is completely fabricated. You know, and now, now this is where my experience of having to uh, deal with a pathological liar came in. I could see that pattern from this bar attorney. I could see where they live and just twist and manipulate and always take the opposite of whatever you say as it suits them. You know they're not they're not guided by the the reality of the situation or what or even a, a major component of the truth and so uh, I whipped up some paperwork for the guy and they called him right away and wanted to know if they could make it go away and then once I had some interest like that I had some people that I knew personally that got into these little uh, miniature commercial issues and I just I, I they, they had nothing else to lose. They couldn't afford an attorney. And uh, I, at the time, I, I, I wasn't really realizing how counterproductive hiring an attorney is because an attorney is great if it's one, let's just use this term, citizen against another citizen. Of course, that there's going to be some, some semblance of uh, truth will rise to the top. But the pattern that I hadn't, fully appreciated yet and but I was starting to is that if it's if it's an indiv a private individual up against the power structure that game is rigged to to the point where it's laughable uh, whether it's it, it, it's an attorney or, or a corporate uh, policy or, or the, the judges themselves it, it's a foregone conclusion that that private citizen is going to lose. There's no way they can, they can sh uh, show the game. And so uh, that idea combined with uh, the, the people didn't have anything else to lose. I, I, I sort of inherently knew that anything that I do, even if it's just experimentation is they're going to be better off than if they hired an attorney, a bar attorney. And, and there's some real rare exceptions out there. Uh, Jerry Spence out of Colorado, I think, Colorado or maybe Wyoming. He teaches law school to bar attorneys and he will not teach attorneys who represent insurance companies or government agencies. Uh, he's got a, a trial lawyer college there. But anyway, outside of the, those rare, real rare uh, examples, forget it. And so that's what got me onto it was just sort of these opportunities to experiment a little bit more. And, and then I'd realize how outclassed I was and how little I knew. And that fundamental understanding right there, no matter how much I started to learn, as long as I always presumed that I didn't know near enough, just always kept me hungry to know more. Okay. You mentioned the word citizen and, you know, a citizen versus a citizen. Something I'd like to spend a small bit of time about just chatting now is if you were to stop somebody on the street, a random stranger, and just say, hey, what's your legal status? Okay. I'd say 99 out of 100 people wouldn't know or wouldn't have. I would any. think it would be worse yeah. than that. Oh, okay. Well, 100 then. Okay. Fair enough. So 100 yeah. of people wouldn't know even how to answer that question. Uh -huh. um, never mind, you know, have any idea as to what kind of 
question you're even asking, right? Yeah, right. Um, so why don't we spend a bit of time throwing a bit of light on that for people listening to this? So first of all, your average person walking down the street, right, they have a, a legal status of some description. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? I would. Okay. Because it's it, because it, it's there's a profound amount of effort that it takes to not have it. Yes. The default yeah. is that you you have all of the forms to, to fill out that that sends you down that narrow pathway of of possibilities mm-hmm. are, are put in front of people uh, at times in their lives when they think nothing of it. They think nothing of it because they've been signing their name and filling out things and putting their name on. Uh, documents since they were little kids and so now it's not almost it's almost something that you can't question because it's been going on so long and and then when the when the important documents come forward people wouldn't even occur to them if if you attempted to bring it up in a conversation it's it's real difficult yeah that that's that's something i think we need to spend a bit more time talking about because it's almost like what you were saying at the start of this conversation where you weren't even aware of what was going on in the courtroom. There was like this different world was going on and you were just, you just happened to be physically in that location, but decisions were being made. And it's like, why don't I know this? How do I get to know this? So mm-hmm. let's just, or, you know, maybe not like you, you know, you're a teacher, right? You, you, you're putting media out there. You're, you're communicating information to people who may not necessarily know this. So why don't you just spend a bit of time talking about, different types of legal status there are just for the average person out there who may not even know that they have a legal status to begin with so let's say your average person living in america or ireland or under the civil system they are would be regarded as a citizen of the state would that be right yeah sure citizenship has substantially been redefined uh, over time over time being, you know, you go back to, I'm going to skip ahead in terms of uh, the, the, I'm going to go past the foundation that's required and, and, and talk about some things that uh, require a, a, a certain amount of knowledge before we can start to entertain and then work my way backwards. And so that's what you're saying there is that that citizenship, let's just say is a relationship between them and the state. And, and that definition has to have changed because the nature of the state has changed over time. People can't really see it. Um, but political status essentially is what is your relationship to the state and what is, is offered to people that takes a, a, a significant amount of effort to avoid is to say um, – it is the relationship, which is you are a, a governmental, you're performing a function of government. That's the most concise way to put it, is that, is that you are federal personnel, regardless of, of in any, any country, I should say any nation that's a member of uh, the United Nations, that this applies to. And so it's a world of fiction. And it's truly a level of make-believe. And so when people try to reverse engineer it, it can't be done based on just assuming that the folks in statecraft think along the same lines that the general public does. And so I'll give you an example. The, The created cannot be greater than the creator. And so truly what has happened is that man has created government and government then creates citizens. And so a citizen is, is as fictitional of a concept as a clerk of a grocery store. And so, uh, to fill that position, that status of uh, citizen is, is as, as real and as fixed as the clerk of a store. You know, once you leave a, a grocery store as an employee, you're no longer that clerk. And so you can be apolitical if you want to. You can just be politically neutral. You know, as a thing is bound, so it is unbound. And, and lots of people have gone back and, you know, some of, some of these creating instruments like birth certificates, people have gone out and figured out the legal implications of those things. 
and uh, taken back control of them for themselves. You know, there's only one one entity that can have control of the steering wheel, and so they've taken it away from government. And it's it's pretty interesting what what's happens when when people interact with political and and governmental entities once they've done that. It's it's there's some pretty exciting stories out there. Yeah, I know. And look, it it is. It's it's a hard one just to break out and go. Yeah, look, it's this is this is one kind of legal entity. This is another kind. Um, there's your four or five, and and off you go. Um, yeah. but I suppose the the thing I'm trying to maybe communicate is that you may be not who you think you are. <laughs> almost. Yeah. And and if you do think you are, well, you should kind of know what you are and and what your relationship is to the state. And and as you go up the the pecking order, there's different categories of public uh, persons. There's you, you can have diplomatic status and you can be a, a, a politician who's a member of government itself and then you have certain rights and privileges that your average public person may not have. And I, I don't know if I'm, if I'm complicating this, but no. you know, is, is there anything in, within that, this little kind of category that you would, you would say to people, hey, did you know that or are you aware that this uh-huh. is the case? Do you know what I'm trying to get at? I do. Here's where I would go with this. It's Roman civil law. And so a lot of understanding this is to go back and, and see the symbolism within Rome and, and to know what the fasci is, you know, the bundle of sticks with an axe. And, and, you, and you see the Capitoline wolf, which is, which is uh, intended to represent an inferior entity with children dependent on it. And so if you look up the, you know, when you start to look up these words, what is a child? A child is not necessarily an offspring. It, it, it can be uh, somebody that is is wanting of knowledge. And that's exactly how statecraft views the general citizen, is that they're absolutely, utterly incompetent and that they have to nurse off of the state. And this stuff was created. It, it wasn't created. It was really perfected uh, you know, it, throughout the Roman Empire. And so that's... Uh, a great place to go study it and see what's going on and, and, and see that it is, it's a group think. And that's why there's so much propaganda and so much intense pressure to, to, to be citizens and, to, and, that, and, and why the media just really inflames uh, undocumented immigrants and things like this. And, and the reason that, that, that there's such fear put on undocumented people is because the government doesn't have control over them. Uh, you know, and, it's, and so what they do is they, they they shift that pressure over to have the have the general population spooked by them, and so you know all kinds of propaganda and and state sponsored myths come out of um, undocumented workers. You know, they the the, the state itself is are the uh, organizations that in, inflame these problems to get to to drive wedge issues and to you know just spook the herd, so to speak. Uh, but to study it's 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 the Roman civil law. There's a fundamental principle that, that can't coexist with reality. And that fundamental principle is in law, all are equal. And so how can I tell you what to do or how can a cop tell you what to do? Or, or then you start to sort of scan in your mind's eye the horizon of, of who are the folks that can dictate to you how you are to conduct yourself. And they're out there. There, there, are, there are laws and rules and regulations that say that you have to wear a seatbelt and that you can't use your cell phone under certain circumstances and you can't do this, you can't do that, and you have to do this over here. Well, how are people compelled to perform and we're all equal under the law? And what, what I understood instantly and readily was that it's all 
contractual in nature. That made sense. That was the segue between me having to do something and yet not being owned by someone. Right. Otherwise there's just clearly a, uh, a king of the biblical sense that just owns everybody. And so conversationally people know that's not true and yet they have to do something. And so I was always curious, well, what is it that bridges that gap? And it's just the contractual nature of things. Otherwise you have to say logically then if it's, if it's not by contract, if it's not by agreement, agreement maybe is a better way to put it, then someone truly is of a status to just, uh, create demands on people because of who they are. And the mainstream narrative can't have that. They can't own that idea because it's just not true. People would rebel against it. So, so do you, uh, do you think that your average person, that the person that I stopped on the street there a few minutes ago, do you think that they're uh -huh. aware that they are under contract? Uh -uh. Yeah. No, because no. how people uh, satisfy themselves with that dilemma is that they say to themselves, everybody has to do it. Ah, oh, we've all agreed to it. In other words, the people that are the lawmakers in the legislation of the parliament, they're obliged and bound by the same laws that the, that the average people are. And that is the insulation that the mainstream media is for, is because there is truly a class that is not obliged by statutory regulation. And so whenever every once in a while people will see politicians that seemingly get away with what the average person cannot – that is how it is. And what's unusual is just that, that someone gets to view that. That's, that's not supposed to get to you. you know. There's, uh, but once you understand the mechanism, it's, that's obvious. Okay. One, one area I'd like to chat about, Spencer, would be just the general topic or category of words and how words are used in the legal and financial arena um, and put together in a way that communicate uh, some intention on behalf of those who use the words and the and, and elicit a, a response in those who are receiving the words and in, in mm. law the pen is very much mightier than the sword mm -hmm. People think that words have meaning. They get caught up in that, and I call it the Jeopardy effect. We have this game show over here on television called Jeopardy, and the, the underlying strat or tactic would be to answer as quickly as you can. And I think that's one of the fundamental uh, disinformation uh, propaganda techniques that there is, is to answer as quick as possible so that people can see – and, and think of a word has a meaning. And so the instant you hear the word, your mind produces that image, uh, you know, in your mind's eye. And so what television in the public fool system does is it gets everybody producing the same image in their mind. And in reality, a word does not inherently have the meaning. People do. What what idea is it that you're trying to relay? And so one of the uh, the biggest uh, handicaps that people have is that they have not been exposed to one that idea that, that words uh, don't have the the inherent meaning. It's it's people's intent. And so from there, that limits people's curiosity when they listen. Now curiosity is gone. People don't wonder what did he mean when he said that word because what we don't see is the multiple possibilities of any given word. If you look up a single word in any any dictionary that's generally of the language, of the English language, you, you'll see multiple entries for the same word. Uh, as an example, if you look up the word address in Webster's 1858, one usage of that could be uh, – speaking to a crowd or maybe speaking to a crowd in a formal way. And then another complete different usage of the word is it's a maritime consignment of property. They're completely different ideas, same word. 
And so culturally, we have been conditioned to speed read and to think that that's uh, a higher level of skill than people that can't speed read. And in reality, it destroys knowledge. Yeah. I think that's a really, really important point you've just made about trying just to step back rather than reacting to information that's coming in and just taking the opportunity just to just to process that information and ask a question what is the intention behind this letter or the, this conversation or whatever and in a legal context primarily the first engagement would be some form of a letter sure and i i think the majority of the letters that are sent out the intent behind it is to is to test whether this person has any form of defense um, is it is it something we can just roll over or can we just yeah. roll this over um but without even i don't think it's yeah. i don't even think it's that deep can i jump in right, real quick on that okay so i think the intention of a letter is to start to accumulate it's like going to a grocery store with a basket you're accumulating items in the basket then when a letter is sent out, it's, it's, it's accumulating an agreement. And so it, there are rules to the game that people don't know, and that's latches and estoppel. And estoppel, E-S-T-O-P-P-E-L, or E E in front of the word stop, E-S-T-O-P. Look that up in, in Webster's 1828, and you'll see that that word has one very concise idea defining it and that is a man may not aver the opposite of what he's once avowed once what now avowed doesn't necessarily mean what what he said because the position that you take can be established tacitly and so people don't understand tacit tacit acquiescence and estoppel and so what happens is when letters get sent out even if there's already a contract that is finite that contract can move and roll around once you're doing business with somebody they can reestablish the facts by sending you notices and then once you've gone silent to it you've agreed to it and once that's happened enough times then it gets locked down and now you know maxims the fundamental principles the rules of the game that people don't know uh, he who is silent appears to consent is one uh, whoever does not correct a wrong when he can is seen as commanding it. Uh, consent overrides error is another one. <laughs> and so even if those letters are erroneous, your consent overrides it. And consent can be acquired tacitly. All you have to do is go silent to it. Well, go silent to what? Well, when you read it, you'll see that inside the language that, you know, there's there's certain positions that they establish as that, that can be looked at as agreement from a perspective of the future. And most people don't have a long game, a big picture view of any particular item. They just, they just see it from their sort of pedestrian view of, of the world and, and attor attorneys see the world like they're looking down at a map. They can, they can see future and past. And that's one of the other things that mass media conditions people is to just see here and now, just snapshot, soundbite, identification of the world. And so those are some really damaging um, conditioning. Sorry, it's conditioning to see just sound by this a soundbite size of the world. Yeah, like a, that's that's kind of getting more into due due process and and sure, uh, and, and which is you know, I, I I love hearing about that and I I think that's once you start to kind of wade into the water, you start to discover that there is a game as well that's being played, and that if you don't know the rules, then you're you know you're gonna you're gonna suffer <laughs> one way well, or the other. Yes, you will. You know. Um, Do you know who Chuck Yeager is? I don't. Chuck Yeager is a was a test pilot, maybe in the fifties, uh, and he was the first. He's known to be the first test pilot to break the sound barrier and live to tell about it. And and I think he got folded into the space program. Anyway, there's a there was a Hollywood movie called uh, 
the right stuff that maybe came out in the 80s. And that was about Chuck Yeager, or, or at least it was anyway. So he's fairly famous over here in America. And, and he has a quote, that, and he says, rules are for people who can't make their own. And so from, from that sort of vantage point, you can definitely start to delineate the people that need to be told what to do versus people that can say, you know what, I can, I can take it from here. I can handle it. And, you know, years ago, somebody was arguing with me about this kind of stuff, and it was back when I was foolish enough to stay engaged in the conversation. But one of the, one of the things that occurred to me once I saw that it was just endless circling over, over some foolish the, the, the guy didn't really want to exchange ideas. What he wanted to do was defend his position. And I found a place in the conversation to, for me to bow out. And, and what I said to him was, look, at that is what statutes and codes are for, is to be able to take care of folks that think this way, that can't do it for themselves. And it, and it was, you know, kind of a, a, a snide way of me putting it, but, but I was very anxious to get out of the conversation and that's that's the way i chose to do it but in, it's a real sort of brash truth that's what the you know the system the civil system of, of statutes and codes and and citizenship is for it's for people that can't take care of themselves sure I hear you. and, and, Ward, and, and wards so, of the state uh-huh and, and if and if when when folks defend that vigorously and they don't want to think in, in a little bit broader terms, then, then that's when I just quietly step back out of the conversation. And because, because I, I, that's, that's, I don't just believe that that's my truth. That's that, that is what those things are for. And then that individual, those regulations are for him. He, he, he's, he's not cut out to have this conversation. So, you know, my effort really goes to zero and and I don't have any skin in the game. I don't worry about it at all. I don't try to sort of prevail in that conversation. That's something else that's, you know, maybe uh, I don't know if it's a skill or perspective that's that I came across real quick is that I didn't need to convince anybody if if they weren't uh, participating in the conversation at a sort of an exchange level. I didn't need to keep going and prove my yeah, I hear you. I think everyone, well, not everyone, but in, in speaking with people uh, who, who are undertaking similar journeys of self-discovery and, and, and self-education, whatever, you invariably come, come across new material that, like in my experience, I'm trying to work through new information and just engage with people and try and get a fresh perspective on it. So like when I'm speaking to people about uh, material or, or topics that are off the menu, um, and I'm just, I'm just trying to, you know, just, just kind of even spark a conversation of, did you ever think this, or did you hear that maybe this might be a way of looking at this particular thing? That's, that's really all I want to do is just exchange curiosities and go, Oh, you know, I'm not necessarily looking to, to defeat my opponent or even inspire them i'm just looking to kind of exchange value in terms of look i found this interesting i've looked at this in in this particular way you know from speaking with people like yourself and other people we've all seemed to experience the shutdown mode where that that door just closed very quickly because you're 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 into uncomfortable territory where their paradigm is being undermined and, and uh -huh. that can be a very scary place for people yeah the they, unknown is what know. is what is scary yeah um, but I've, I've maybe matured a bit past that. I'm gone like yourself. Do you know what? I, I, I'm, that's fine. That's okay. If you, if you're unable to engage, you know, I think most people, uh, through whatever way they, they react to what a perception of something that is maybe seen as an attack of sorts. Uh, I don't, I, you know what I mean by that? And that's like, you're questioning a belief that they may have that it's, uh, they seem just to either attack back or, or go into that hominem mode or whatever and mm -hmm. i just find that just becomes boring then i just i just i just switch off you know i disengage because it's it's not worth it even because you're not going to come come out of it with any further knowledge i would think well in my experience i just i feel saddened by that almost yeah you know? 
Yeah, I don't, I don't mind. I mean, there's lots of people that just aren't ready for it. Yeah. Can I jump in with something that you're not asking? Can I of tell course. you a little anecdote here? Please. I came across this study that two universities did, and they wanted to do the same study. And both universities participated in this as a way to compare notes because it was, it was very subjective in nature. But that's what they were trying to determine were opinions, personal views. And so each university did three studies, and it went like this. The first study asked individuals, what, do, what is your opinion on this? Do you like this color? Do you like these brands? You know, on a scale of one to five, what do you think of them? Do you like them a lot or not at all? Do you dislike them? You know, they asked them about fashions, politicians, celebrities, uh, restaurant choices. I, it, it didn't matter. It was, it was purely opinion-based. And one of the choices that was provided that you could select was, I don't know. I don't even, I don't even know. And down at the bottom of the, of the page on the first go-around were other people's opinions. You could see that 55% of the people thought this, 22% thought this, and the balance you know, said this, or whatever, whatever the, the percentage splits were. Other people's opinions were provided at the bottom of the page. The second of the three tests were identical, except the available opinions that were provided by others, it wasn't at the bottom of the page that the test taker had to go out of their way to go find other people's opinions. Maybe it was at the back of the book or it was upside down on the other page. So if you wanted to know what other people thought, you had to turn the page over and then you had to turn it upside down. I don't know if that was it. My point is you had to go, you had to put in effort to find the other opinion and the, the amount of people choosing I don't know spiked on the second test. And on the third test, it was the same thing. It was opinions, colors, brands, flavors, politicians, celebrities, nonsense. And uh, no matter how much effort the test taker put in, other people's opinions were not provided. It wasn't on the front of the page, and you couldn't find them. The, the, the people that comprised the test, they just didn't even – compile that data and the amount of people choosing I don't know didn't just take an uptick it spiked and somehow there was a percentage of 85% of the people could not answer more than 50% of the questions in other words the 50% or less is what they were willing to provide an answer for very few people, only 15% of the people could, could provide more answers, more opinions than not. And so people very much rely on what other people think that they won't commit to an opinion until they look around and, and see if it's supported or not. And so what the, what the main narrative does is it keeps people in that conversation, the choices of opinions, the choices of even things to think about. 85% of the people can't go out of that and they'll attack you if you do. spoke earlier about not not watching television and your relationship with let's just call it the mainstream social paradigm right and that once you start to remove yourself from consuming that media you you, you well i'm saying you meaning the universal you you take a, a different perspective on the news and entertainment sport stuff that's consumed by the masses right what I'd be interested mm -hmm. to hear about is I've had a, kind of an, a new insight into that in that I also 
stopped watching television, stopped listening to the radio, haven't really read a newspaper in about four or five years. Um, mm. But I heard I heard somebody speaking recently about if you're looking for f- the facts, right, that maybe a way of looking at it is that, okay, we go to the news to get facts, but maybe the fiction is in the news and the facts is actually hidden in fiction, mm-hmm. right? So if you look at shows like, it's on HBO, it's called Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it masquerades as a snappy, kind of slightly mainstream satire on on the tech industry and, and the, the, the culture of the tech guru is in, in, in West Coast America, whatever. And you can look at it on one level and think, you know, yeah, this is kind of, you know, neat. It doesn't really offend anyone. It's got a bit of kind of crude language or whatever. But I looked at, I was watching an episode the other day and there was, there was a real incredible insight by one of the characters, which just really went to the core, I think, of the education system and what education really is about, you know. And I had a moment of awareness to think that I wonder is the mainstream or those who are producing media using the mainstream to communicate what's going on, but they they have to hide it in a way that Mm -hmm. doesn't jeopardize their platform. Have you put on those glasses or have you seen? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and there's a guy on the, that has a YouTube channel that started to compile news broadcasts. And he started to look at it through a view of false flags. And there's a couple of people that really put out some interesting information on what a false flag is, you know, sort of the power structures, sponsorship and involvement in sensational events, uh, shootings. You know, it's it's always the set that, you know, there's a couple of people, uh, Ole Damagard, have you seen his material? He researches that and a guy named Richard Dolan is, has, you know, he's a academic researcher that sort of branched out of uh, the public narrative and started to see that there's a little bit bigger story going on on the just beyond the television camera. And so they started to really compile a very interesting academic look at the pattern that happens in these sensational uh, events. It's always, you know, the, the lone gunman, he's killed right away. There's legislation produced after the fact that that's, that's going to resolve that uh, for future events, right? We need to take those guns away. Wh- whatever it is, the imp- it always has a public impact, uh, et cetera. They, they, they've identified an entire template, if you will, you know, the, the rules of the game, however that goes. Okay, so there's another guy in uh, that, that started to see, well, what happens when these things are aired through the media and he started to see that there was a color pattern of you know the state sponsored events the newscasters always wore red the people out on the street you know the, the woman she'd have a, a, a bright red dress as, as many colors are, as are available there was they were just to- toggling between red blue and purple for these events and he started to see you know maybe some more authentic events that would happen and they would wear this color anytime there was something of a suspicious nature there was a continuity of color coding that you could kind of see ah this is just this is just bullshit propaganda for the muggles and and i don't remember how the colors go but it was something like that you know when that when they're all and, and what he would would notice is that there was if there was five or six local news broadcasts on the same event Every single guy would would have a red tie. Every single woman would have, you know, would, would be wearing red to some degree. And then he'd and he'd show another event, and and at some point, how is it possible that these guys are coordinating their colors this thoroughly? And so he would show event after event after event, shown through so many different uh, various broadcasts, and and those color patterns were. Uh, without exception, that, I mean, maybe that's not a direction you wanted to go. No, no, it, it's yeah, I'm, it's more. I suppose there seems to be a, a meme amongst those who get into 
I don't know though even the word I want to call it alternative truth movement. There's so many different versions of, of what you would describe as alternative news, right? And that there seems to be kind of a culture of rejecting the mainstream as this this toxic um, entity that just produces lies and propaganda and not to be trusted in any way. Okay. And I think you almost mm-hmm. have to go through that process of rejecting the mainstream and then re-engaging with it in it and trying to trying to decipher what is being communicated through it and seeing that there's certain agendas being played out and, and some are obvious and some aren't obvious mm-hmm. and that they're presenting a version of the truth. It may not be blatant lies, but it's a it's a perspective on the truth that's trying to shift the narrative in a way that makes you believe that the world is configured in a way that serves those who wish to control you, you know, uh-huh. and that, yeah, and okay, so that's one way of looking at it. But then the other, the, th- the point I was making earlier is that those who then who produce art, right, and and are creative, they're creating, they're making creative media. So it's not just news; it's like movies and TV shows and and music or whatever, right? That I'm beginning to look at that stuff a little bit more forensically and, and uh-huh. look at look at like Hollywood mainstream movies okay they're producing kind of you know the, this the cynical view would would be that they're producing you know propaganda for for the control elite and that this is future programming and, and whatever you know all this kind of maybe one obvious way of looking at it but maybe within that there's there's stuff that they're they're trying to communicate to us as well uh uh-huh. i don't have, have you picked up on that at all is that something you've you kind oh, sure. of in yeah. on, you know, and yeah. So I, I, it's just it's new for me. I'm kind of going, oh, okay, that born that new Jason Bourne movie, right? There's lots of stuff going on that which is telling us about, you know, surveillance and whatnot. But um, maybe it isn't all, you know, prescribed and and finite. Mm-hmm. Maybe that they're still trying to work stuff out, and you can get a lot of value out of out of mainstream stuff. Is kind of what the point ultimately I'm trying to make, you know. Sure. Yeah. There's. Yeah, I'll show you a couple of uh, places to go look and see if it doesn't pique your interest. The old, the old black and white Twilight Zones. Watch them with a new eye. And and one other. And, and this is much a, a much smaller example. But did you ever see the movie Training Day with Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke? Uh, early in the movie. Denzel Washington is is the boss, and and Ethan Hawke is his first day, and he's going to go work with this guy. And they sit down at this diner for breakfast, and Denzel's trying to read his paper. Ethan Hawke's interrupting him, and Denzel gets exasperated, and he says, "Tell me a story." And Ethan Hawke says, "What? What, You know, tell tell you my story?" And he says, "No, tell me a story." I'm trying to read this newspaper. And it entertain. He says it's ninety percent bullshit, but it entertains me, and that's what I want right now is entertainment. And since you won't let me be entertained by my newspaper, you entertain me. You tell me your bullshit. And I thought that was that. That is the perfect snapshot of um, the uh, news, the mainstream news from whatever source. And so, and there, and it, and it comes delivered in the spirit of what you were just saying, that the fiction tells us what's really going on. Mm. It's game on, like, as far as I'm concerned, because why throw everything out when there's still lots of information in, in the mainstream, you know, that's, that's something I'm coming back to is listening to advertisements and the occasional political conversation, and then looking at mainstream movies and tv shows and it just makes it much more enjoyable Uh once you kind of crack this crack the the edge of this it it just runs it just you just tear off in any direction and you'll just start to see things that are very interesting and and as long as you know you're not so ingrained in your own uh, reinforcing your own particular belief i just think this stuff's as entertaining as anything um, none of it's none of it's scary. Yeah, just on that, I saw a movie recently, uh, which he, which also Ethan Hawke was in it. Maybe he's got <laughs> he's got the skinny on this, but uh, it was called 
uh, Good Kill. Have you seen it? Yeah. No, I never heard of it. It's about drone warfare. And he, he his character is an ex-Air Force pilot. And he's, for whatever reason, I think he's either semi-retired or he's been relegated to flying drones in a prefab in the Nevada desert somewhere. But the movie is a complete expose of drone warfare it throws up some uh, ethical dilemmas associated with remote warfare and, and pressing a button thousands of miles away you know from a philosophical point of view it, it throws up a lot of relevant points about the culture we live in and how we engage with so-called enemies and all that but that's the construct in which the movie is is made around but what i found really interesting was it was a very honest insight into the military industrial complex and how how these people you know live their lives you know mm-hmm. and like it was almost like you know sometimes you have to question like did the US government allow this to be made did this just slip through the net because this doesn't show anyone in in a positive light. Like everyone mm-hmm. comes out on the far side of this movie with blood on their hands. So, right. so where's the propaganda in this movie? I really couldn't see like, you know, a lot of this um, Jerry Bruckheimer stuff, and it's all about kind of beating your chest and you know fighting for the flag and <laughs> you know that kind of <laughs> horseshit movie. But this was right. like, are we part of this? You know, I, like yeah. as an American person, I was thinking, Jesus Christ, if I saw this movie, I'd be depressed going, these people are doing this. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of get the social conditioning of, oh, no, it's only in the movies. It can't be true, you know. Yeah. Um, or either that or there's enough fluoride in the water now. Where people okay. <laughs> uh, Check it out, man. I'd, I'd say you dig it. It's it's slick as well. It, you know, it's it's from a filmatography point of view. It was it was well shot. Uh, if you could say yeah. that about about aerial shots of, of bombs being dropped from drones. One of the questions I ask people I speak to, and as a creative thinker or as an independent thinker, you, you know, you've arrived at certain insights, or I'm assuming you have. What is your key insight so far on your, on your journey, if you have one? If you had to give one kind of, do you know what, this is what I've learned. The first thing that jumped out at me right now is he who questions well, learns well. And and maybe this gets too precise and too technical, but you know, in algebra, when you have the same, the same variable on both sides of the equation, it it, it has the same value. And that just struck me one time that I thought he who questions well, learns well. In other words, you learn exactly as well as you question and know better. You, you, you do not get information any, any better than, than your ability to question, to wonder. And by question, I don't mean to be critical and try to defeat, but to be curious. However curious you are is, is that that is your benchmark for progress. Cool. And I'm, I'm now going to be starting or asking a new question in my podcast, which is the flip side of that coin. And what, what's the worst piece of advice you've ever got? Well, I saw someone the other day that was uh, releasing a new book in the, in the Seattle area, and it was on cancer. And they had done some research on cancer. And uh, the, the worst advice is what w- was what that individual was professing. And so I didn't get the advice directly and personally, but uh, I was shocked. And, and this woman, as an author, her advice is that if you get cancer, do not Google it. In other words, don't go to the Internet and do your own research. And I, I was shocked at how brash that was for her to say, stay within the narrow – I still can't believe my own eyes and ears that someone is is that much of a troll to say, don't trust yourself, uh, s- s- defer to experts. And, and so I would say, even though I didn't get that advice directed at me, that was the worst advice I've ever come across. Well, in, in a synchronistic moment, um, if you flip that over, m- my key insight or one of them, 
is do trust yourself. Mm-hmm. Despite yeah. pressure not to. So that, that that's that's kind of that's lovely to hear. You know, because I, I that's one of the, the the kind of empowerments that I've attained in recent years is to to scale it right down to my knowledge and my truth, as you said. And it's like, no, this is this is what I need to do, or this is this is my body, my mind, my spirit. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, that's a nice way to wrap this up, I think. Ending on the mind, body, spirit thing. Uh, must get t-shirt, <laughs> t-shirt made up. Right. With uh, tr- you know, trust yourself. <laughs> right. Don't don't trust authority, kind of thing. Um, thanks a million. I really appreciate you t- spending time chatting with me today. Yeah, you're welcome. Let's do it again. Ah uh, man, thanks a million. still listening and you found any of this podcast to be of interest feel free to email me and say hi my email address is jim at meltedsnow.ie perhaps you have a suggestion for a future guest or topic either way it'd be great to hear from you thanks again for listening really appreciate it